Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fall Classic Rewind, the stories behind the World Series. Today we're going to be covering the 1973 American League Championship Series between the Baltimore Orioles and the Oakland Athletics. The O's and the A's. The sort of the single letter known by their single letter rather than their kind of entire name but they they truly were the class of the american league from the sort of the you know if you were considering late 60s to about 1975 they they went head to head a bunch uh in the playoffs you know were basically you know had been the representatives for the american league in the world series i mean so for both of them the orioles ended up being in the world series 69, 70, and 71, and then the A's, 72. They're going to be this year in 73, and then in 74. Uh, so they were both tremendous, tremendous teams, really built with great pitching, star players, and really excellent role players who starred in their roles and came up with clutch performances, always had great bullpens, well, you know, when you're thinking of, of course, by name, Raleigh Fingers and by reputation, but, you know, when you're thinking back to guys like Eddie Watt, Pete Richard, um, and now I'm blanking on on some of the other Orioles in 73. Some of them had had kind of moved around. Um, Earl Weaver, the great manager tinkered with things would move guy would move guys around was was not afraid actually you know the Orioles were not afraid to move on from players and bring in new guys uh that's something that's actually a really important part of their success uh and you know but the A's themselves were kind of a very consistent team uh through the early 70s we'll get into sort of the constructions of the teams their history what happened in the 1973 season in a moment um but this is a really really great series i do want to note of course i you know i i i search and and dive for basically getting audio recordings from every game, trying to get those big moments. So unfortunately for this series, I only have audio from games one, two, and five. Just sort of fair warning here. Games three and four, which in my opinion, based off of the box scores, what I read up in newspapers, newspapers are the best games of the series. I mean, we have an 11-inning pitcher's duel between Ken Holtzman and Mike Cuellar, two lefties going the distance into extras. And uh, game four, which is an amazing comeback facing elimination for the Orioles, um, don't have audio from those games, unfortunately. Hey, classic baseball on the radio, if you're out there, Maybe go find those games for me. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to necessarily find them and reproduce the radio. I, I'm really kind of reliant on either YouTube, if something's on MLB, with the with you know having radio broadcasts. So, but just sort of fair warning: not going to have games three and four. I will, of course, talk about them and what happen what happens in those games. But we're not going to get that immersion that. I really pride myself on of, of really kind of getting us there. I'll, I'll be able to sort of set the scene 
but we're going to have to use a little bit more imagination. We're, we're not going to get, we're not going to get the sound of the game and the calls. Um, so just kind of fair warning. I wanted to put that out there uh, at the beginning. Um, also wanted to mention a little side note. Congratulations to Scott Rowland for making it to the hall of fame. Uh, third base is an underrepresented, the most under upper represented underrepresented position sorry where i get a i can get a little tongue-tied at times as you've probably noticed but scott Rowland, i mean i've always thought he's a hall of famer if you watched him play uh he didn't have necessarily the volume of a guy like adrian beltray who should be a first ballot hall of famer next year uh nor the you know the peak of mike schmidt or 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 others or Wade Boggs but you know when, when you look at when you look at Scott Rowland the way he played third base the way he dove around the the type of hitter he was the damage he produced yeah he's a hall of famer and it's so great to have that finally recognized and um in a few minutes we're going to be talking about another great third baseman um, who unfortunately we actually just lost uh, last week. Um, he died, Sal Bando. So we'll get into talking. I'm going to go into a little bit of background about Sal Bando, um, Captain Sal of the Oakland A's. But I, I thought sort of the context of Scott Rowland getting into the Hall of Fame and you know the, the standard for Hall of Fame third baseman um, it's kind of thinking back to Sal Bando with those great A's teams. And really, I mean, there was a stretch about, about 19, 1968 to 1974 or so. Sal Bando was one of the probably a top five player in the league. Not top five third baseman, top five player. Uh, just a real tremendous. I mean, we're, we're going to go into these A's. What? what a group of guys that this team was. And it, it's really, when you look at it, it's no surprise that this team went on to win three straight World Series and go to five and win five straight divisions. Um, you know, the Oakland A's have a very interesting history, which, which, I'll, uh, which I'm going to, you know, as we cover this championship series. And as we get into the 1973 world series, we'll going to be talking about the history of, of the athletics, you know, going from Philadelphia to Kansas city to Oakland and sort of this, you know, this history of, they are actually one of the most successful franchises. I bet you wouldn't know, but they're third, they're tied for third all time in championships. Right? Yankees have 27 running away with the lead, of course. Cardinals have 11. Boston has nine, but you know who else has nine? The A's. I mean, the, the, this is this very interesting thing is that throughout their history now, of course, they haven't won uh, since 1989, and they haven't been back to the World Series since 1990. But they go through periods of, they have like a five-year window where they're really, really competitive. And often in the past, it usually led to them picking up a couple of championships or at least getting to the World Series multiple times. 
Uh, you know, they have multiple times in the A's history. So obviously, 72 to 74 won three straight World Series, right? They're the only team to do that other than the Yankees. And they've done it twice. They went all the way. So if you go all the way back, so I think this is probably when Jimmy Fox was playing for them. But back in like the late 20s, the late 20s, early 30s, they had a year where they won three straight and they won four out of five. So the A's, it's kind of this, you know, thing that people don't really know as well that, man, they're actually one of the most successful franchises. And, um, man, and, and during this time period, of course, Sal Bando played a huge part of that. And we're going to kind of get into his backstory and of course his teammates and all of that. Um, and yeah, there's going to be just, there's so many really fun things to cover in this series back in a moment after a word from our sponsor. It's a bright new future, and Magnavox TV consoles are bringing it right to you with the brightest pictures, color, and sound. We are also bringing a new vision of the future with Magnavox Odyssey, the world's first commercially marketed home video game. You'll have many games to choose from, like hockey, and basketball, and soccer, and many more. Just place this transparent cover over your Magnavox TV screen and the special Odyssey attachment displays the exciting games for one or two players. Isn't this pretty much just Pong? Well, that's right. It's just like the Pong you see at the arcades, only at home. But, but all the games are essentially Pong. Well, not really. You can change the transparent screen... And there's hockey and soccer. You can pretend to be Gordie Howe or Pele. But it's all Pong and who the heck is Pele? Isn't that something? Enjoy the fun, modern, innovative variety of games from your Magnavox Odyssey exclusively with your Magnavox TV. There were many greats on the on these championship Oakland A's teams, but there was perhaps none more important that when you're looking for that glue guy, the one who kind of puts it all together and is really sort of the embodiment of the team. Well, that's Captain Sal Bando. Born in Cleveland to a carpenter, and, you know, just growing up, playing, going out, playing baseball, hard work, sort of that, the embodiment of that blue-collar baseball player. That's that's what you're, when you're thinking of, of Sal Banda, when you look at him. He, I mean, he looks like a guy who's maybe working in construction or something, sort of that lunch pail, go in, grit and grind. Um, you know, of course, and in, in his heyday, he was one of the most durable players in the league. Uh, but he ended up going to Arizona State, of course, which we now know as a baseball powerhouse when it comes to producing major league talent, a la Barry Bonds, Dustin Pedroia, and many other countless players who went to Arizona State and went on to become tremendous professionals. 
but Sal Bando, you know, it's sort of his his turn and really becoming a leader in the team and really his blossoming into a great player actually coincided with the move to Oakland from, you know, when, when they were playing in Kansas City, he came up, but he really didn't get consistent playing time. But basically, once they moved to Oakland and he was in there every day at third base, I mean, he just took off. I mean, so from the years, basically, if we're looking from 68 to about 76, which is, you know, his time in Oakland, right, where he basically played averaged 157 games a year, which is incredible, Always, around 20 plus home runs, around 90 runs driven in, you know, and for that time, like including basically sort of a slightly above league average year in 68 and a below league average year in 75 was still about 30% better than league average when it comes to OPS. Oh, you know, so that's over like a nine year period. And so that's even better if you're looking in between 69 and 74, take off sort of the end years that bumps up to like a 140. And, and, you know, we're looking at a guy who finished second in MVP in 71, fourth in MVP in 73 this year, third in MVP in 74. I mean, you know, was an all-star starter over Brooks Robinson, you know, that 1969 game in DC. I mean, I don't know. It's just something about Sal Bando and those A's uniform, whether it's the green and yellow, the, the vest and the, Oh, I just love it. It's, it's your, it's like the platonic ideal of a tremendous baseball player. And, you know, when I think of, Obviously, Scott Rowland getting into the Hall of Fame now is really, really important, and it's great. And I hope we revisit a guy like Sal Bando, who, you know, when it comes to the the counting stats, yeah, he falls short. You know, like only slightly under 1,800 hits, slightly under 250 home runs. But, man, when he was at his best, he was one of the best players in the game on – on the best team in baseball and he was the glue guy and 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 more and he was more than just the glue guy because sometimes that's the oh well you know the guy who's you know he's really it's like no he was a star he was a stud he was awesome sal bando was great and we're gonna see here uh he's gonna have he's gonna have a tremendous tremendous game in this championship series um and then there's gonna be great performances also from the likes of Bert Campanaris. I mean, like, think about this team, right? You know, of from the from the offensive side, right? I'm pretty sure the only Hall of Famer is gonna be Reggie. Um, so Reggie Jackson, of course, he won MVP in '73. One of the one of the greatest players of all time. Great postseason player. Doesn't do great in this championship series, but <laughs> World Series. Well. That's Reggie's time to shine. He actually missed out <laughs> on the 72 World Series because of an injury. Um, but then you have guys, Ray Fossey behind the plate, uh, you know, who's a perennial all-star catcher. Gene Tennis, guy who switched between catcher and first base and was just, he blossomed into a, into a stud. I mean, Gene Tennis is an underrated, like, great hitter of guy who played catcher, first base, a real, like, 
provided so, so much slugging. Um, Bert Campanaris at short. I mean, just by the way, you look at Bert Campanaris's career. I mean, my goodness, what a player! What a player Bert Campanaris was. I didn't know that he stole 600 plus bases in his career and played great defense. I mean, another guy when we're looking at Hall of Fame that really should be revisited. And then Joe Rudy. I mean, Joe Rudy had a couple of years where he was like top three in MVP. I mean, come on. What a tremendous team. And then, you know, with the likes of Darren Johnson, Bill North, we're actually not going to see Bill North in this series because he gets hurt. Dick Green uh, providing moments. Um, And then in a moment, we'll get to the pitching because, well, (laughs) well, one of my favorite things to talk about is pitching. But, you know, kind of last little wrap up on, um, on Sal Bando. So he was, you know, a very outspoken player, actually almost at odds with his owner, Charlie O'Finley, who was meddling, at, you know, basically just saw base the team as his almost like play thing and was just not a fan of Charlie O'Finley. And, and of course, once salaries were going up and with the, um, you know, oncoming of free agency, Charlie O'Finley just didn't want to pay his players. And, you know, think about, think about this team you had in in this, in this dominance that, and we'll get into this, especially when we cover the world series, you know, pretty much right after the world series, the team's gone, (laughs) the team's gone. And it's mainly just because Finley didn't care. He didn't, he just didn't want to pay these guys what they were worth any semblance of it and didn't want to invest. And, and and this is the thing is Bando was outspoken of like, Hey, if we were playing in any other city, we would be, we would be stars. Kings of the, it's like we play in the worst stadium, the Oakland Coliseum. And we get no, we basically, we don't get love from our owner. He's meddling in affairs. And, but, you know, he's the one who holds up the championship trophy and gets, is the first one interviewed. So, um, but Sal Bando, man, he, you know, he put his team first, loved his, he, he, he fought hard for his team, for his teammates. Um, he will be missed. He will be missed. Um, I'm not sure exactly how involved he had been, uh, you know, but I think, he truly was a beloved player. Uh, and it's a shame that, you know, he's a guy who should have spent his whole career with the A's. And now, of course, great for him to be able to go into free agency. He actually went on with the Brewers and I believe made an all-star team, had a sort of a, a pretty nice, a pretty decent sort of uh, second act of his career, albeit, you know, pretty brief. Um, actually I'm mistaken. He was not an all-star, but he did have a very, very good season in 1978. Um, but you know, it's just, it's just one of those things that, that I reflect on of, man, I wish there were like, I know my dad would talk about this, but you know, you want a player like Sal Bando on your team, that, that guy who's a leader and a darn good player to boot. Um, we'll be back in just another moment, uh, we're going to get into these games, get into this matchup. Um, but just wanted to make sure had some words on captain Sal. All right. So let's meet these teams. We'll start with the A's continue with them and, and then we'll get into the Orioles. Um, but of course I mentioned the lineup that, that great 
consistent lineup of the A's. Um, in the outfield in this series, we're going to see sort of a mix of uh, Manuel uh, Angel Manguel. Sorry, messed up his name. Uh, where we're going to see a little bit of Ted Kubiak playing second base as well. We're also going to see Billy Conegliaro and Jesus Alou um, coming up with some uh, coming up with some moments here in this series. Um, but I do. And Vic Davileo comes up. Oh my God, Vic Davileo is huge uh, in this series. But we got to talk about the pitching. Um, the three-headed monster of Vita Blue, Catfish Hunter, and Ken Holtzman. I mean, just a. I mean, look at some of the stats of this of this team. Ken Holtzman actually led the team in innings. He started forty games this season. Forty games, going twenty-one and thirteen. 297 ERA, 297 innings pitched. Yeah, uh, that'll get it done. Vita Blue, excellent once again. 20 and 9, 328 ERA, 263 innings. And then the Catfish, 21 and 5, 334. Really excellent. You know, with Catfish Hunters, your third starter, you're in pretty good shape. And hey, when we, we, when we talk about the O's, kind of similar situation, right? But of course, the bullpen is also a significant factor for this for this Dick Williams team. Raleigh fingers at the back end, one of the best to ever do it. And man, you you look at his postseason career and his career. I mean, just a just a man on a mission when it came to when it came to postseason performances. And he's that that old school fireman. He's gonna come out. It, it's the sixth inning of a game, and he's like, "Oh yeah, boys." I'm, let me take it. He didn't always pick up saves, but he would put up zeros more often than not. Uh, Daryl Knowles, a lefty, really solid out of the pen. He's going to come up huge in the World Series for the A's. And Horatio Pena uh, were kind of the main, main others. And, and then, you know, you ha- also have Blue Moon Odom, uh, who, a guy who had been an all-star, really, really great. And, and by the way, he's also just got a great, I mean, Blue, New, Blue Moon, what a what a great nickname. You got Vita Blue and Blue Moon Odom. But, I mean, Johnny Lee Odom is a pretty great name anyway. Um, but he actually really had a rough year. But he's going to, he's actually, we're going to end up seeing pitching game one. And he's going to actually kind of work, you know, to really save the bullpen. A um, little spoiler of this game Game one does not go the A's way, um, but man, what a what a team this was! And I mean, just just a really, I mean, you had stars for sure. You had star power and 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 real guys who who are going to carry you throughout a season that can carry you through a postseason series. You know, with the likes of Reggie Jackson, Joe Rudy, and Sal Bando. And actually, in fact, Gene Tennis, by the way, who can carry you through a postseason series, just ask the Reds what happened to them in 1972 in the World Series. But, you know, it is those other guys. And, of course, Burt Campanaris in, in, in many ways was kind of a star player. Um, but, you know, Vic Davileo and Jesus Alou coming up huge in a series and Daryl Knowles. Uh, and, and other guys filling in, it really, really matters. It, it's so important in baseball because, hey, your star pe- player, your star hitter, 
probably is only going to get up four times a game. He's one of nine in the lineup. Your uh, your star pitcher, he might only get a chance to pitch once, maybe twice in a series. So the other guys have to come through. That's that's why I love baseball. It's the ultimate team game. And hey, it's great when you can have three horses to rely on. Speaking of three horses, how about those Baltimore Orioles, baby? <laughs> Ah, uh, man, I love the the Earl Weaver Baltimore Orioles. Now, they're a little different than our 69 team that we covered. Uh, you know, pretty much the same team between 69, 70, and 71, so for the three World Series appearances. But they traded away Frank Robinson in 1971, and they actually got back Doyle Alexander, who, who played a significant role uh, for the Orioles. Uh, but then they also, they traded away um, they traded away Pat Thompson and Davey Johnson, by the way, uh, for Earl Williams, who kind of took over as catcher. Uh, Elrod Hendricks also got traded away uh, by this point, too. Uh, and they were moving on. Don, Don Baylor came up. They moved on from Don Buford. Uh, so Merv Rettman took more of a role in, in terms of starting. Al Bumbery came up. Was a won a rookie of the year in '72. Rich Coggins coming in, but of course you still got Mark Belanger at short, Brooks Robinson, and of course the trade of Davey Johnson was to make room for the great Bobby Gritch, another one of those kind of overlooked potential Hall of Fame guys. Uh, but he actually, in many ways, was the uh, the Orioles' best player in '73. Um, well, best position player because on the pitching staff side of things, well, you know that's where their strength was. Um, you know, they, in fact, they traded away 20 game winner, Pat Dobson to the Braves and, you know, David Johnson would actually go on to hit 43 home runs for the Braves, but in many ways, Gritch was the superior player. Um, so, but it, it kind of begs the question, well, was Belanger's defense that important that they couldn't have moved Gritch to short and still had David Johnson there? I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm just asking questions, but Again, speaking of horses, the top of the rotation, Jim Palmer, he goes on to win a Cy Young this year, 22 and 9, 240, 296 innings. What a year for Jim Palmer. Mike Cuellar, 18 and 13, 327 ERA. Dave McNally, 17 and 17. A lot of decisions, uh, but still solid as always. Doyle Alexander was, was, pretty solid for a young pitcher, a 22-year-old Doyle Alexander, by the way, going 12-8. and eight. And in the bullpen, Eddie Watts still there, and Grant Jackson and Bob Reynolds were kind of the, uh, the, the relief aces. You know, Earl Weaver wasn't a guy who was saying, oh, yeah, here, here's my guy, get me, get me 30 saves. No, he was a bullpen by committee. He also certainly relied on complete games. I mean, the Orioles, think about this. They had 67 complete games in 1973. I'm going to repeat that for you. 67 complete games. Doyle Alexander had 10. McNally and Cuellar, 17, and Palmer with 19. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> you, you know, you don't need to rely heavily on your bullpen when your starters can give you length and 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 great dominance like that. Um, man, what... What a team they were. And and what's interesting about both teams, uh, you know, I, I kind of like we did, you know, with, we had those great comebacks of the Reds and the Mets who sort of were toiling and toiling 
and then caught fire at the end. Not exactly the same situation here, but the first two months of the season weren't great for either the A's or the Orioles. They were both kind of sputtering around 500, got off to a little bit of rough starts. But basically, June June caught on, and they caught fire. Basically, like going on, overtaking the division, and both of them winning their divisions pretty comfortably. Um, and so that sets us up for a game one matchup between Jim Palmer and Vita Blue. Vita Blue, who I believe won um, won Cy Young and MVP the year before. I mean, just had a he had basically one of the all time great pitching seasons. Um, no, that's actually, it was in 71 and 71. He won Cy Young and MVP. Then I believe he actually probably blew his arm out a little bit. If we're being honest, he struggled in 72. Uh, but he was back to, you know, again, being a 20 game winner lefty, really, really consistent, great pitcher and going up against, uh, against Jim Palmer, you know, the guy who, who everyone was pretty confident, uh, was going to win the Cy Young here. Um, and you know, the first, it's a very interesting game, this one here, because you're expecting a pitching, a pitching matchup and Vita blue at the time was very much seen sort of as a strikeout pitcher. And Jim Palmer for much of his career was a sort of, while he threw hard, you know, for his day, he was much more of a pitch to contact, did not rely on strikeouts. I mean, he, he, he would tell you, Jim Palmer would be the first to tell you, the reason that Jim Palmer's in the Hall of Fame is because of Brooks Robinson, <laughs> Mark Belanger, or, and Louis Aparicio earlier, Davey Johnson and Bobby Gritch at second, and Paul Blair out there roaming it in center field. His defense was a huge part of his success. He'd be the first guy to admit that to you. But we're going to see an interesting one here where Palmer not wanting contact. I mean, in this first inning, the top of the first, there's there's no contact. He walks Burt Campanaris. He walks Joe Rudy. So first and second, oh, my God, now you got to face Sal Bando and Reggie Jackson and Darren Johnson. Yeah, no problem. No problem for Jim. Uh, three straight strikeouts. Get your team back in the dugout. Kill that rally right away. I mean, that wasn't exactly Jim Palmer's game. I mean, because, again, if we look at this, right, Jim Palmer, 296 innings, nearly 300 innings, only 158 strikeouts. And, in, in fact, actually his walk rate was a little high. So, I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't strike people out. But here he is carving up the A's early in this game. Uh, what a way to start. And, you know, then it's going to be kind of turned in the other way. So Vita Blue, um, he ends up giving up a single to Merv Rettmond, um, strikes out Bobby Gritch, but then walks Paul Blair. And that brings up Tommy Davis. Now, Tommy Davis is a guy who, you know, basically 10 years prior, won a batting title, was drove in 153 runs with the Dodgers, um, you know, couple of all-stars, but then had kind of bounced around to a bunch of teams. And in fact, you know, had been on Oakland the year before. And I believe he was actually then went to the Cubs and then was traded for Elrod Hendricks. And here he was 
kind of he had a bit of a resurgence. He hit around three hundred this year, but he was he was not the player he once was. But here he was hitting hitting cleanup for the Baltimore Orioles because Boo Powell had a bit of a down year and was really really struggling against lefties. But here is Tommy Davis stepping up to the plate, looking. You know, so his first postseason at bat with the Orioles. And you got runners on, you know, Palmer was able to quell the momentum, you know, in the top of the first. And here you are with a chance to jump out ahead to to start a postseason series. Davis waiting, one ball, no strike. You can hear there on the radio broadcast. I believe that's, uh, we actually have the Oakland for game one. We're going to have uh, the Orioles for the rest of the series, actually. I believe this is uh, Monty Moore and Jim Woods. I think it's Monty Moore uh, calling uh, there in the first inning. But what he mentioned with Tommy Davis was, uh, there he goes again, because these teams matched up in the regular season and battled, and like Tommy Davis, I think, went like, he had an absurd number of hits. He hit like 513. It, it, it was kind of crazy how how much he crushed the A's. And we're going to talk about matchups between these two teams and uh, some of the decisions that get made later in this series. But there you go, able to put your team up a run uh, in the first inning, which is huge. And then, by the way, it's now second and third. All of the pressure now is on Vita Blue, who then ends up walking Don Baylor to load the bases with only one guy out. And but Vita is actually able to respond pretty well, strikes out Brooks Robinson, and then gets to two strikes on Earl Williams. Earl Williams, again, I mentioned he was part of the trade. Earl Williams, in fact, actually broke onto the scene, uh, I believe, in 1971. One rookie of the year with the Braves as sort of a catcher, first baseman, utility guy, hit 33 homers. Um, but a, a weird thing that was mentioned on the broadcast was there was a he had perhaps a bit of a re- reputation, perhaps as sort of a lazy player. Now, hmm, a black player playing in Atlanta. I wonder if there was maybe a little something else going on there. I don't know. I that that perhaps is just speculation. Um, but the, you know, the Orioles saw a chance to upgrade at both catcher and, you know, as someone who could kind of uh, supplement at first base, he's actually playing first base in this game because Echebaron is behind the plate. Uh, you know, with a lefty on the mound, they, they weren't going to play Boog Powell at this point, who had kind of been resolved to a platoon player at this point in his career. And so Earl Williams steps up, 
steps up to the plate and by the way had a very solid year with baltimore in 73 you know 22 home runs only hit 237 but was it but drove in 83 runs walked a lot you know provided that versatility being able to catch and play first base and so here he is stepping up to the plate against vita blue and, you know, this is an opportunity here early in the game, early in a postseason series. You want to jump on opportunities. And then sometimes, you know, and so you you want to find a way to come through any way that you can. And, well, that's what Earl Williams is going to do against Vita Blue. That's certainly not the way you want to start a series if you're the Oakland Hayes. Your ace getting knocked out in the first inning of a ball game. I mean, pretty much everyone who showed up to the ballpark that day or anyone who was tuning in to watch on TV thought, man, I'm going to sit back. Jim Palmer versus Vita Blue. This is going to be a great pitcher's matchup. Guys going deep into a game. I'm in. And, you know, perhaps maybe you were, you know, you, you thought, oh, first inning, I, I got to go do something. Or maybe, you know, you were getting off, you you know, you were getting off work or something. Because let's see, when, when when did this, when did this game start? Um, yeah, it was a, it was an afternoon game, right? So, and you're just checking in and you're like, oh, you know, uh, well, you know, so you come in a couple innings late and you see, wait a second, it's already it's already three nothing, and then after a few more batters, it's four nothing. What the what in the world happened? And it's something where, you know, uh, Tommy Davis was able to you know get a really kind of big booming double there. But the rest of it wasn't that much, and Blue was almost out of the inning, right? I mean, he got he had Williams with two strikes. And just wasn't able to finish the job, you know, turn that to how Jim Palmer got himself in a jam, but got himself right out of it. Uh, and we're going to see here in the second inning, um, I believe Gene Tennis. That's right. Gene Tennis gets a single up the middle. So another base runner on, but there, there goes Palmer again, strikes out Mangual, strikes out Ray Fossey. And with two strikes on Dick Green, well, 
is just early on the returns were in and it was just going to be Jim Palmer's day. Six strikeouts through two innings for Jim Palmer. Again, not a guy known for strikeouts. Um, certainly had the stuff to, to strike people out, but he, he, he rarely ever relied on it. Um, now, I do pose a question for you of, he said for the second straight inning, he struck out the side. Now, I, I, this is a question I always wonder of, in my mind, striking out the side means striking out the side in order, meaning you face three batters, you set all three down on strikes. Like, because that's the side, you know, of the side of the half of that's all three batters. So when we're looking at the sides of an inning, right? Of if guys reach base, you didn't strike out the side, you didn't retire the side in order. Um, but I, I guess. Maybe it is. Maybe it is different. Of you got all three strikeouts. Uh, so I pose that question to you, the audience, of what is striking out the side, and you know it's another thing too. Of in the first inning, the Orioles batted around because you don't. In my mind, it's not sending nine nine guys to the plate. Some people say, "Oh, they batted around. They sent nine guys to the plate." No, you bat around when the tenth batter, so the the guy who led off the inning, bats again. That's batting around, so I think that one is pretty clear. And I that it, it I take umbrage when people say, "Oh, they batted around and only nine guys hit." Striking out the side, I I, I don't have as reflexive, but that's more of one I have a question about. So I don't know. Let me know what y'all think about that. Anyway, the early returns in this game is that it's going to be Jim Palmer's day. Now, it, it's it's a dominant performance by Jim Palmer. And, you know, kind of if we think back to some other, you know, World Series performances for the Orioles or, you know, these games that basically just early on gets away from one team and the other team just, they, they set it down, don't allow the other side to come back. Because, hey, we've seen 4-0 leads, we've seen 5-0 leads, turn into a deficit real quick in the playoffs. And Palmer wasn't going to let that happen. But it wasn't as if, like, oh, he had no hit stuff. It's like, no, he he he, he hardly had a clean inning. Um, you know, I think he the fourth inning might have been his only clean inning of the game. He ended up giving up five hits and five walks uh, in this ballgame. So ten base runners. Um, but it's it was, all in all, a dominant performance. Um, when you're looking at this game, I mean, he had basically had at least one strikeout through the first seven innings. I mean, just a just a masterful performance by Jim Palmer, kind of one to notch in his uh, notch in his record book. Uh, you know, for a guy who you know was you know when it came to 
postseason games. He had a lot of success, but he also had games where he struggled. Um, you know, he, he kind of got the whole breadth of the experience of, uh, of being a major league pitcher at the, at the highest stages of had the great successes. And, um, but you know, perhaps, you know, other than perhaps, you know, perhaps his postseason debut where, where he outdueled Sandy Koufax, uh, in the 66 world series, uh, this might be his finest postseason performance, uh, just an just a just a great game and you know the the Orioles are able to add on Andy Etcheverin drives in a run in the seventh uh, and then Don Baylor drives in a run in the eighth and uh then we get to the ninth inning Palmer's already got 12 strikeouts you know Vic Davileo with one out gets a single up the middle and here's a chance for Jim Palmer you know as we mentioned the Orioles had 67 I counted again say it again 67 complete games on the season now you know the A's weren't too bad in their own right having 46 but I mean just think about that six, 67 complete games it was the expectation from Earl Weaver that hey my guy if you're going you are finishing this game well, and that's exactly what Jim Palmer is going to do. He had his eyes on the prize in this game. He was locked in, and man, he's just uh, just he's just one of those one of the great all time pitchers, Jim Palmer. Just a masterpiece from Jim Palmer. What a performance. 12 strikeouts, no runs, really sort of setting the tone for the series. And and for the A's, it's kind of a punch in the mouth, a kick in the head of just sort of like, all right, you're the defending World Series champions, and you just got your doors busted in. Now, on the one hand of, okay, all we have to do here, if you're the A's, we need to come back and just get one because we're going to have three games at home. You know, at Oakland, they're going to have to come to our place and they're going to have to beat us there. We just got to take one from them here at Memorial. And, you know, game two, going to have Catfish going. One of the best big game pitchers the world has ever seen catfish hunter there was just something about him when it got to the postseason i mean he's just sort of he's got that legend aspect to him but you're going up against dave mcnally who's you know now we'll go into specific matchups of actually not a great thing for the orioles because he struggled against the a's in in the regular season had given up a, you know McNally, I think, had only given up 16 home runs in the entire season, which in, you know, like 260 innings is pretty, pretty solid, right? I think like five of them had come against the A's. So they sort of, in a way, had his number, and we're going to see that in this game, believe you me. Um, but McNally, of course, you know, is a guy who had who had thrown postseason shutouts and had dominant performances. And the Orioles themselves, so in championship series, right? So this was going to be their fourth championship series. In the three championship series they played previously, they hadn't lost a game. They hadn't dropped a game. So 69, 70, and 71, they didn't drop a game, right? And so 
in their mind, the Orioles, who, you know, had a sort of a backslide in 1972 after, you know, kind of moving on from, from Frank Robinson, they're thinking, hey, here we go again. We're just going to roll on to another World Series because that's what we do. That's what we do with our horses. You know, now, by the way, a lot of those those games that they played were close games like against the Twins. So pretty much all of them were extra innings or something like that. Um, you know, but here we are. You know, you, you come into a new game and you think, hey, we just we just need to start differently. For the A's, you basically, you flush it. You just, hey, forget about yesterday. It's a loss. Doesn't matter how it happened. We just come in tomorrow, clean slate. And, well, nothing better than a little bit of instant offense. And Bert Campanaris, not a guy known for power. You know, he did have a season where he, like, popped 22 home runs almost kind of, like, out of nowhere. Um, Not like Brady Anderson out of nowhere, but just sort of most of his career was sort of like a, you know, he'd hit you five home runs and he'd steal a bunch of bases. But at times, I mean, that's the thing about baseball players. You leave a mis- you you make a mistake, they can punish you. And, hey, there's really no better way to start off a baseball game than with some early thunder. Business about to get underway. Serious business between the Orioles and the Oakland A's. Game two of the American League Championship Series. The Orioles lead one victory to none. Game three tomorrow in Oakland. Here we go with game two as McNally takes on Burt Campanaris. Let's bring in Chuck Thompson. Thank you very much, Bill O'Donnell. Good afternoon, everybody. The left-hander's opening pitch is fast and low, and the ball runner underway. The right-hand swinging Campanaris, a 250 hitter on the year for the Oakland Athletics. And yesterday had one hit in uh, three official at-bats, reached twice, once on a walk, stole a base. Fly ball, well hit, deep alley, left center field, Blair and Bunbury racing after it. It is gone. A home run for Campanaris. Into the Orioles bullpen, a deep left center field. Campanaris hits a one nothing pitch out of the ballpark. It's his fifth home his fifth home run of the season and his first home run against the Orioles this year and Oakland just like that takes a very quick one to nothing lead over Dave McNally and the Orioles McNally in 29 and two-third innings against the Oakland A's this year had thrown five home run pitches and uh, one of the key performers in everything that Oakland does Burt Cavanaugh starts the ball game with a home run Oakland one to nothing and Rudy gets the ball one low and outside Instant offense is always welcome. Campanaris was one of those guys. You think of him more as sort of like a spanner in the works, gets on base, steals bases, disrupts things, is, you know, a really tough out. But he could punish you every now and then. And, man, what a way to start off a ball game. And that's got to give your team, that's got to give you confidence to go out there. Now, you know, a couple, uh, you know, Sal Bando ends up walking, but uh, no more offense for the uh, for the A's in this first inning. Uh, the Orioles are actually going to get that run back. Um, Al Bumbry uh, leads off with a walk. Rich Coggins gets a single, and he advances to third, and then uh, with a Tommy Davis ground out, um, Al Bumbry comes in to score, nodding the score at 1-1. And then, so the middle innings of this game are just... McNally and Catfish at their best, just sort of dominant trading zeros. Now there is a play that happens. Unfortunately, 
the radio call of it is just like all garbled. So I wasn't able to get a clean, clean recording of it. But Sal Bando comes up, I believe, in the in in the top of the third and crushes. I mean, just launches one to left. But Bumbry brings it back, robs him of a home run. Uh, so uh, just keep that in mind. And, and it, it, it's a play that will be referenced later in this game. But it was sort of, um, you know, other than that, it was really, really good pitching, really good defense, you know, just kind of – you know, what maybe you were expecting in game one, it looks like it's going to be a pitcher's duel. But that brings us to the top of the sixth inning. So, um, you know, again, we've had these teams trading zeros. There have been some runners on, you know, kind of in the bottom of the fifth, Catfish was able to get out of a jam, striking out Al Bumbry with runners in scoring position. And, you know, so if you think about that almost kind of as a momentum play. So now we have um, Joe Rudy coming up. So the sort of the the heart of the order for the A's. And, you know, McNally, for the most part, at you know, since the second pitch of the game has been cruising, right? But like like I always say, things can go fast and and all it takes is a mistake. And... These hitters, right? <laughs> these, these, these guys, they can punish you. And that, Joe Rudy, man, he was a guy. He was the type of hitter. These A's were, you know, I mean, we, they were the Moneyball team before Moneyball in terms of thinking about getting on base and doing damage. That is what they were focused on. And, well, Joe Rudy came up to the plate looking to do damage. 2-2 is on the way. Fly ball, well hit, right field. Coggins is going back to the fence. He's looking up. He leaps off the fence, and he can't get it. It is over the right field fence for an opposite field Rudy home run. Rudy just took McNally the opposite way to break the tie, and Oakland has gone ahead 2-1. to Campanaris started the game with a home run to left. Rudy breaks the tie with an opposite field home run here in the sixth inning. There is a wind in the ballpark, not strong, but the wind is blowing out towards right field. The A's were a really tough lineup to navigate. I mean, obviously, a guy like Burt Campanaris can get on, cause havoc, and, and the main value that he provides is when he would reach base. Now you've you know you're worrying about him stealing bases. Obviously, not in this situation here, but then you got to deal with the likes of Joe Rudy, Sal Bando, and Reggie Jackson guys who you leave a pitch over the plate, they're going to crush it. And we see here McNally 2-2 count and uh, and Rudy's able to take him out to the opposite field, to right field. Really impressive piece of hitting there. And now I don't know if McNally something got in his head or, you know, it, it's one thing you really got to refocus in, you know, especially like the third time facing facing a guy. You know, you you either got to bring something new or, most importantly, you just got to execute. And, you know, I don't know if the, it was just a little bit of lack of focus or lapse, lapse of judgment, but you know Sal Bando, I mean, he hit a ball out of the ballpark, but it was brought back in the last time you faced him. So you probably don't want to make another mistake to him. Well, unfortunately for Dave McNally, he's not going to be so lucky. Bando to McNally's 1-2. 
It's a fly ball deep left again. Bunbury can't get this one. It's in the left field seat for another home run. Back-to-back solo homers by Rudy and Bandel start Oakland 16. All Oakland runs on solo homers. Three to one now the score. And the Oriole bullpen is busy with the bullet. Bob Reynolds is warning. He'll get some extra time because Bamberger, the pitching coach, is walking to the mound. Randolph had a home run taken away by Bumbry in the third, but there was no chance for anybody to take away this blast. Very well hit in the left field bleacher section. Sandy is not staying around the mound too long. He has chatted with McNally as well as with Williams. And- Boy, the middle of that A's lineup could do damage, couldn't they? I mean, we're even thinking here in this series... Reggie Jackson hardly does anything. The Orioles, I think maybe they keyed in on the MVP and said, oh, well, we're not going to let Reggie beat us. But then, I mean, that's the thing with the A's. That's the reason why they were so great, right, during this time was it wasn't just one guy. It was uh, it was a whole load of them. And, uh, man, <laughs> Rudy and Bando. And, and that's just something of sometimes Dave McNally, otherwise a great pitcher throughout much of his career, the A's, I don't know if they if there was something that he was tipping. I, who the heck knows? But they certainly had his number in this game, and it, you sort of wonder, man, Earl Weaver, maybe, maybe you know, maybe a little too reliant on uh, on the guys of like, hey, you do have a bullpen, you do have other guys you can go to. Because um, actually, even after this, McNally keeps on pitching, and and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, McNally's able to get himself out of the sixth inning, and we actually go to the bottom of the sixth, and the Orioles, kind of like they did in the first inning, they come back, they come right back and respond. Um, you know, Rich Coggins gets a base hit, Tommy Davis gets a single, uh, Boo Powell grounds out, moving runners to second and third, and that brings up Earl Williams. You know, guy who, you know, we saw come through with a huge hit the day before. Um, and so Catfish, you know, is able to, able to basically get two strikes on him, able able to be in position to almost feel like he can, like, get out of this jam. However, there's a play that happens. You know, when mentioned before, the A's normal center fielder was Bill North, but he ended up having an injury. So Angel Mangual is out there in center field. And that's going to play in here because communication between outfielders and shortstops, when you have a ball in what we would call the Bermuda Triangle or no man's land, you got to communicate effectively. Well, there's going to be some failure to communicate, and that leads to trouble for the uh, for the Orioles. No, sorry, trouble for the A's. Another session going on. This jab session between Bando and the Catfish. Williams struck out on a hunter curve in the first inning. Popped up on a 2-0 pitch in the fourth inning. The A's three, the Orioles one. Coggins at third, Davis at second, only one out. The on-deck man is Blair. Right now, everybody's centering their attention on Catfish, Hunter, and Earl Williams. Williams had two hits yesterday. One of them drove in two big runs. All right, here we go. Catfish under to Earl Williams. And the pitch is on the way. A high fly into shallow center. Campanaris racing back. Manguel coming in. And it's the off their ball. They collide. 
is the base hit and the run is scored. Campaneras had the play made. He had the play made and Manguel knocked it away from him. Manguel collided with Campaneras and knocked it out of Campy's glove. What was a routine out turns into a run scoring and Williams goes all the way to second base. Hogan scores while Davis goes to third. Campanares had the play completely made. As he reached up and the ball went to the glove, Manguel knocked it right out. That's definitely not what you want to have happen when you're trying to uh, hold on to a lead in a playoff game. Mistakes like that. Interestingly enough, they call this a double when, well, really it should have been an error, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) What is interesting is on the very next, like the very next play, Paul Blair ends up popping out to short and Campanaris, they they say on the radio, like over-exaggerate waves and is like, everyone get out of the way. It's my ball. I want no one near me. Um, You know, and then, you know, they actually decide. And so that's what's interesting is you had second and third, but on that pop-up, you know, the runner on second only moves to third. And so, you know, it's still the Orioles, despite having two runners in scoring position and getting what's called a double, they only score one run. So it's still a 3-2 ball game. And Bobby Gritch, um, you know, he just kind of flies out pretty uh, pretty weakly over to right field uh, for the catfish. By the way, you know that you're a legend in the game when you're just you're referred to as the catfish. What up? The, the, the A's were so cool, man. Charlie Finley, you, you can... I, I, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say. Anyway, you, Charlie Finley, what what were you doing? You look at this greatness that you had. You could have found a way to hold on to it, and it wouldn't have cost you too much money, if we're being honest. Anyway, that's like I said, neither here nor there. Um, but Catfish, uh, able to get the team out, get able to get his guys back in the dugout with the lead intact. And uh, they trade zeros uh, in the seventh inning. Uh, But then the eighth, again, this is where it's interesting of, I don't know what Earl Weaver's doing because Burt Campanaris gets a single, infield single, uh, able to beat it out. Then he steals second. Uh, Well, actually, a bit of a misnomer there. So he, uh, he steals in order basically to break up a double play. Uh, and they're not able to turn a double play. So he's on second base. And again, Bando, Rudy crushed him. Bando crushed him. I do not know why Dave McNally, and especially after uh, Campanera steals third base, why in the world Dave McNally decides to pitch to Sal Bando here? It I'm. It's just inconscionable. I, I don't know how Earl Weaver allowed him to do it. I don't know how Dave McNally thought in his mind. It's like, you've already given up three home runs today. This team has been crushing you. Bando's actually hit two balls out of the ballpark already. One just happened to be brought back. So, I mean, maybe just don't try it again. I mean, like, fool, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Three times? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, what a day for Captain Sal. <laughs> you know, I think he was certainly delighted and 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 the A's were certainly delighted that Dave McNally was still out there. 
and decided to pitch to Sal in this in this in a one run ball game, one run ball game, late late postseason game. Anyway, take a listen to Sal Bando having the game of his life. All four bird infielders back of the grass with McNally going to Sal Bando, one and zero. Long drive to deep left. Bumbrey looks up and it is another Bando home run. A two run Bando shot makes it five to two. All the runs on the long shot. Solos by Campanaris, Rudy, and Bando. And now Bando again with a two run homer here in the eighth. Five two open. Have a day, Captain Sal. Have a day. I mean, just crushing Dave McNally. It, it once again. I don't know why McNally was pitching. If I were an Orioles fan or a teammate, it, it's just one of those things of I know how great he's been, but in that situation, I'm not. I, I'm not going to let Sal Bando beat me there, uh, I, or 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 I'm not going to let Dave McNally pitch to him. I, anyway, anyway, because. And, and this is a huge thing because in the bottom of the eighth, right? You know, after McNally ends up getting knocked out of the game two batters later, um, in the bottom of the eighth, the Orioles claw back once again. I mean, Tommy Davis leads off with a single, um, you know, and then Earl Williams ends up getting a hit with one out. So it's first and second. They bring in Raleigh Fingers, and then Brooks Robinson actually comes through and, and drives in. A run drives in Boog Powell. And so now we've got first and second, we got the tying runs on base. And then Bobby Gritch is able to draw a walk. I mean, so here we are, bases loaded. Don Baylor comes in to pinch hit, you know, and it's like a situation where this game could have been a lot closer, right? Like you could have tied this game. You could have had a chance to take the lead in this game. And you still do with Baylor at the plate. But, you know, Raleigh Fingers, you know, the the other guy who so far has been huge in this game, I mentioned before, Burt Campanaris, you know, leadoff home run and then uh, scored on the second Bando homer and has been making defensive plays, you know, other than the, the drop fly ball, which was not his fault. Here he is showing off his defensive prowess. You know, it's a, it's a tight game. You know, you just, you know, you got to have this one. You know, you got to go make those plays. Bottom of the eighth, you do not want to let this get any further. And Raleigh Fingers has to go in. He's got to trust his stuff and he's got to trust his defense. And with with Campanaris behind him, you know, because Fingers was kind of, you know, sinker baller type of kind of sidewinder type of thing. So he, he knew he had to rely on his defense. And well, Burt was one of the best to do it. Fingers has an edge on the count, one and two. He agrees with signs and works. Ground ball by the mound, towards second base. Campanera throws to first. It's in time. They just get Baylor for the third out. For the second time in this game, the Orioles leave the bases loaded, but they do score a run. At the end of eight, Oakland five, Baltimore three. I mean, what a huge play. I mean, it doesn't sound so special on the radio, but kind of a ball up the middle behind the bag coming over like bases loaded. That's a play you gotta make. And Bert 
That's what he did, you know, and, and through that stretch, I mean, that, and, and that's what it takes to be a championship team, right? Is those huge plays, those, because you're not always going to have that game where you just blow the other team out. You're going to have to fight for wins. And that's what they're able to do here in this game. And Campaneris continues, continues his great, his great game, you know, now facing Bob Reynolds. Um, Manuel, uh, ends up getting a, a single, um, you know, and then uh, there actually is like a pass ball, strikeout pass ball. And so Burt Campaneris comes up with yet another chance to to come through for his team. And I mean, in many ways, this is this is sort of the Sal Bando game, but it's also the Burt Campaneris game in, in kind of my opinion, too. They they sort of co-share a lot of responsibility as well as Catfish with a with a really great pitching performance. Um, you know, but Campaneris, man, just uh it's like Campaneris and uh and Bando on the left side of the infield. I mean, that's what you want. You want those guys. They're just winners, man. Winning players. They matter so much to the game. Uh, and we see we see Campanaris come through yet again for his team here. Runners at the corners. Here's a line drive to right field for a base hit. Manguel has scored to make it six to three. On his way to third base is Green. And once again, Campanaris has delivered. He has figured now in three of the six Oakland runs, scoring two, one with a homer, and now driving in another one. So he has two runs batted in, three hits, and has figured in three runs. It is a six to three Oakland lead, and for the first time, Oakland scores without benefit of the long wallop. What a winning player, Burt Campanaris, just in the thick of all of it, along with Sal Bando. Like I said, you have those guys on the left side of your infield. You're going to be pretty confident that you're going to have a darn good team. And, uh, you know, Raleigh Fingers comes in, allows another base runner. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. He does not allow a base runner in the ninth inning. Uh, he strikes out Al Bumbry, gets Rick, uh, Rich Coggins to pop out to the catcher. And then with Tommy Davis at the plate, the guy who had sort of been the thorn in the side for the A's, right? They so far in this series and, uh, you know, looking back to in the regular season, you know, Raleigh fingers, not really known as a strikeout guy. So he's going to put it, put it into play. And well, you can probably guess who's going to make this play. Yeah. It's the guy who's been in the mix all game long. The Orioles right now at the moment are one out away from losing their first postseason game in playoff history. In 69, 70, and 71, they did not lose a game at all to either Minnesota or the Oakland A's. They are down 6-3 to three and one out away in the ninth. The pitch to Tommy Davis, just off the outside corner, and ball one. Fingers caught Bumbry looking on a third strike, just got Coggins on a foul pop-up. Two out, base is empty, and the 1-0 to Tommy D., is fouled to the upper deck, so it's one ball, one strike. Baltimore won yesterday, six to nothing, on the shutout job from Jim Palmer. Oakland, right now on the verge of locking up the playoff series before it goes to the West Coast. Fingers to Davis, one and one. Brown ball towards short. Campanaris plays a chest high, throws the first, the ball game is over. 
Oakland wins the game 6-3. And the 1973 American League Championship Series is square. One victory each. What a win for the A's. What a way to nod up the series. Kind of seeming like a theme, right? <laughs> this 1973. Just uh, really, really great baseball going on here. What I mean, this was a tr- such a tremendous game. And, and that's what I love, like diving into the box scores, but diving into the games and, and listening and hearing. We heard, you know, great calls by Chuck Thompson and Bill O'Donnell there. You know, man, what a what a game what a i i'm a sucker for 70s baseball i think it really is one of my favorite eras i mean of course i didn't live i didn't live it and experience it but it's one of those things i i I love to sort of revisit it and you know the beauty of technology now is we're able to go back and listen and watch these games Uh, i hope you enjoy me sort of bringing you back uh, to those moments. Um, but man, the A's, I mean, w- tremendous games from Sal Bando and Bert, Cam- I mean, Bert Campaneris, what, what a performance. And, and he's going to continue in this series to, to really star. Um, and, you know, cause sometimes, you know, when you have a star, when you have a shining star like Reggie Jackson, right who who attracts so much gravity and attention and you know when when he has a series where he doesn't come through right it's about those other guys you know supporting him you know because it's baseball you're gonna have a a three four game stretch where you, you can't hit the baseball or nothing goes your way right and so it's those other guys have got to come through and you know, it's what makes postseason baseball so exhilarating is, you know, who's going to be, who's going to be that guy, who's going to come through and guys like Sal Bando and Burt Campanaris, you know, so many times came through when you look at Joe Rudy uh, and man, just uh, what a game. And, you know, for, so next we're going to be covering games three, four, and five uh, in Oakland. Um a reminder, wasn't able to find games three and four. I will check again sort of over the weekend to see if I can, you know, maybe find some clips or find something. Don't worry. We're definitely going to talk about those games because they're great, but we're not going to, you know, have the calls. And that disappoints me a little bit. Uh, but yep, cross my fingers. Maybe, maybe, maybe within within the week, by the time, by the time I end up recording things, maybe something will pop up. But man, just uh, just what a series! These these teams they were real oh, man. They were so competitive and so great. I I, I love both of these teams. Um, you know I man I could I could cover I could talk about seventies baseball until I'm blue in the face. Um, but I'm not going to hold y'all any longer. We'll be back. We'll have plenty more to cover with this great series. And then we'll be, Oh my God, the 73 world series is fantastic. I mean, some really great games, really great iconic moments, man. Until then catch you next time on fall classic rewind.